You are listening to the Grow Law Firm Podcast, where each guest shares actionable, practical ideas with you on how to get more clients, expand your reach, and grow your law firm's revenue and profit. Here's your host, Sasha Burson. Welcome to Grow Law Firm Podcast. I have such a guest of honor with the capital H on this podcast. It is not common for me to start off the show this way, but um, you, sir, are remarkable, and your story is absolutely remarkable, and I want to thank you for your service to this country before we jump into this podcast. Mr. Ben Grimes, let me just give the audience a little summary of what I've learned about you, and I read about you quite a bit. Okay. comes from very humble beginnings in, I believe, somewhere central Pennsylvania. Yep. You grew up with, with a single mother, kids, four kids. Yep, that's right. She worked a social worker job and managed to raise you and raised you well. And in fact, raised you so well that you ended up at West Point Military College, which is, I believe, the top military school in the world. One of the best places that produces leaders. Not only did you go to West Point, but I believe you graduated 56th in your class of 901 students or so. 901, that's right. 901. Then you decide to, hey, that's not enough. You decide to become a Black Hawk pilot and a squadron leader or platoon leader. I forget one of those two. It started as a platoon leader. That wasn't enough. So you became an attorney, became a prosecutor, a defense attorney. And I believe later you taught while in the Army. That's right. I spent three years teaching at the Army's JAG school. That wasn't enough. You joined the Department of Justice, which clearly wasn't enough. So currently, you teach at Columbia Law, and you become a coach to law firm owners. Yes. (laughs) It is unusual for me to go over such a long list of accomplishments. You're, you're still a young man, and it's so far a life well lived. So I am such, so honored to have you here. I, I really appreciate it. I'm humbled by that introduction, Sasha. I really appreciate you taking the time and offering a little bit of that. Uh, you know, my background is very important to me, and uh, everything from my hum- humble beginnings at, uh, with my mom and my three siblings growing up poor in Pennsylvania. It, it, all of it made me who I am today. I'm very proud of who I am today. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to acknowledge it. Well, these are remarkable achievements for anyone. Just well, absolutely- it, was, it, it was a lot of fun too. I mean, let's, uh, it, it was also a lot of fun along the way. That helps. That helps. But, but, but still, that's a lot of grit and a lot of determination to travel the path that you have traveled so far. And here you are helping others to develop leadership skills, which I find very interesting. I think in your remarkable career, this is the first business that is actually yours. Yes, the, that's co- right. the coaching business. This is the first business that you're actually owner operator in. But the leadership game is something that you've been at for many, many, many years now. Yeah. If you don't mind, let, let me tell you why I am doing this. Um, you, you're right. The, this is the first time I've struck out on my own. I've hung my own shingle. Entrepreneurship is not part of my DNA by nature. Leadership has become part of my DNA for sure. 
And the, the reason I'm doing this now, the reason I've been coaching for the last, formally coaching for the last year, is because I looked out at the profession, and you know this, lawyers are not prepared to step into roles of responsibility. You know, we, we don't do a good job of, as a profession of teaching ourselves how to take care of each other. And that's what I learned professionally growing up in the Army and in the Department of Justice. I learned how to take care of the people that I was responsible for. I learned how to build teams and create inclusive environments and co- organizational culture. We don't, we don't know how to do that as attorneys. We want to be able to do it. And for folks who are stepping into new partnership roles or stepping into firm management roles, they want to be able to do that, but but they're often at a loss for how. And I feel like it's just that important that you know somebody had to do it. And and I missed the opportunity to do those things that I had in the army. And so I, I stepped out on my own. It, it's not part of my DNA, like I said, but I really feel very strongly about the value of lawyers, the value of leadership. Yeah, I find it very interesting that legal profession, lawyers, are probably one of very few professions out there, if not the only one that has such a high percentage of self-employed folks. Yes. Once you're self-employed, you have one boss, you work for yourself. But once you have other people work for you, you become the boss. And this is where the skills that you acquire going through law school and practicing law, no matter what environment you practice law, whether it's government or another small small law firm or mid-sized law firm or large law firm, the one thing that you usually do not learn on those jobs are the leadership skills. Yet, yet it's very interesting. So there is one of my mentors, although he doesn't know me personally, but I've been following him for years, is Jaco Willing. Maybe you have come across his name. He is a Sir. former Navy SEAL commander, and she published a ton of material, including multiple best-selling books on leadership. And one of the quotes that's permanently stuck in my brain is, leadership makes all the difference. There are no bad teams, there are bad leaders. Now, as most lawyers at some point, most, like 67%, two-thirds of all lawyers, do become employers. Mm-hmm. I think that part of the problem, and, and most of them do struggle, Part of the problem is exactly that. It's lack of leadership skills because you don't acquire them in law school and you don't usually acquire them under someone else working in another small law firm. But you do acquire them when you go to West Point. You do acquire them when you serve in the military in various leadership skills. So I think that you're in a unique position to teach something that you've been taught for so many years. And then you had the privilege to practice it for so many years in an organization that's over 250 years old, maybe a little less than 200, it's like 245 years old, right? Because U.S. military goes back to like 1781, if I'm not mistaken, the army. No, 1775. 1770. Oh, so, okay. So pre, pre, okay, got it. So 248 years, we're recording this in 2023. So. There have been billions of people who have gone through organization and military has things figured out as far as leadership go. Mm-hmm. So from where you're sitting now with this many years of experience as a leader and now as a coach, 
Imagine that I am a prospective client. I operate a small law firm, which most small, which most law firms are under 10, 10 attorneys. I'm like, Ben, things are okay, but they can be a lot better. I was not trained to hire, train, and fire people. I'm wearing seven different hats. What do I do? How can you help me become a better leader so that I can build a better business and, enjoy, and in turn, possibly enjoy a better life? Yeah. The first thing I talk to folks about is acknowledging how they got where they are. You're exactly right that our legal training in school, our legal practice up until this point doesn't prepare us to take on these responsibilities. But more than that, I think it actually trains those tendencies out of us. So it's not just that we're not getting the skills and reinforcement that we need. It's that we're actually being trained away from useful leadership skills and mindsets. And by that, I mean, in law school, it's all about what you produce. It's your research. It's your writing. It's your test. You know, except for clinical work, except for externships, there's very little, and, and I'd, I'd warrant to say almost zero collaborative work being done at law school. And then when you get out to a firm, if you're working for somebody else, it's receive the assignment, produce the result, receive the assignment, produce the result. There's very little collaboration involved, very little um, working with others to, to produce a, uh, a plan and a product. It's all about, it's again, what do you, what do you research? What do you write? You're drafting deposition questions, but it's all about what you are doing, not what your team is doing. Then when it's time to be the senior associate, then when it's time to be the solo who wants to hire an associate. Now, all of a sudden, we've got opportunities of responsibility to other people, whether that's an associate, a paralegal, a legal secretary, your clients can also be seen as part of this team that you're leading. Mm -hmm. And once, once we start getting into those positions, it starts to become a lot more clear that we don't have the experience or the mindset to um, delegate, give feedback, manage our time, manage our energy, uh, as you said, hire and fire, uh, to talk with clients about not just what their legal problem is, but how to serve them outside of the case or the matter that they present to you, because that's where the business is, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I talk to folks, when I talk to my clients, first we talk about, well, how did we get here? And we acknowledge that, you know, it's not a failing, it, it simply is part of the profession in large part. But then we talk about what's important to them. Because, you know, for me, I think that good leadership comes from acknowledging your values. I lead from a place of trust, transparency, empathy, and passion. Those are, those are the values that I think are most important in, in a leader. And those are the ones that inform how I do feedback, delegation, conflict management, and resolution. Those all come from that place of trust, transparency, empathy, and passion. But it might not, it might be a little bit different for somebody else. And so we start with identifying values, both personal values and firm values. What does your firm stand for? And then we align the values with the policies and practices of the firm or the leader and the behaviors that are required to show alignment with those values. Because it's one thing to like put it up on the website and talk about how much we love work-life balance or how much we put our clients first, you know, all of these things. 
But if that's not coming through on the ground, then it's just talk. And once we start to get those things in alignment, once we start to figure out how to talk to our team in a way that builds trust and builds loyalty and reduces turnover, then we're cooking with gas. Very interesting. I never thought about lawyers to be trained to work in silos by themselves, but that makes perfect sense. Those yeah, I mean, it's 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 a real shame, uh, and and I really appreciate the way law schools are starting to trend in a different direction. Most of that is driven on practical skills. It's driven around practical skills, right? We want more clinical experiences so that lawyers are better at actually writing and actually filing things or actually talking to a client. But the byproduct of that it are more opportunities to practice leadership and collaboration. I wonder, that makes perfect sense, but I wonder a prospective client comes your way and you tell them that first we're going to work on this, that we're going to work on that, and then we're going to work on that. I'm sure a lot of clients, when they came to you, they would be like, but I'm facing different challenges right now. I don't want to work on communications. I don't want to work on values. I do not want to work on policies. I, for example, very ambitious attorneys, they build larger law firms because they want more out of life. And it starts with better finances. They lead that lead to other opportunities. So they say, I want to focus on how do I go from 6 million to 10 million, but becoming a more effective manager. What do you say to that? Yeah, that conversation about values and communication is, I often couch it in, in, the, in the problem of the day. Right. Mm -hmm. The problem of the day is I don't have enough time to build the book and supervise the associates and uh, you know, run the finances and the, and the marketing and the hiring of the next paralegal that we're going to need. Well, building trust and transparency is, is also about delegation of work. And building the firm from six to 10 million is about delegation of work. You can't do everything. So now it's about what do you do? Well, this, this values identification piece is part of the process of identifying what I can take on and what I'm going to delegate. And not only what am I going to delegate, but how am I going to delegate it effectively? And in that process of deciding what to delegate and how to delegate it, we actually uncover the values that are informing those decisions. And once we uncover those values, now those values can, can help to inform other decisions and speed the process up of accelerating the leadership impact. That's such a key, what you just said, that is like speed up the process of basically getting to the results that you're ultimately after. And I think most of us, so I am a trained on the job business operator. And I've been doing this for a really long time. Uh, I didn't go to a business school. It's very rare to meet an attorney who also has a business background. So for most of us, we do not think in terms of corporate value beyond having a document that says so. Right? So it's kind of like a thing that's on the wall somewhere or something that we inform in onboarding of our new employees. But then we may actually practice what we preached on that one page, or maybe not. 
But I do know that there is an enormous value in having that document and having alignment in the way that we behave with that document. And Absolutely. this is in part how you build a larger business. Can, can you speak more to that, like, like yeah. in your experience? Absolutely. Having, having identified those values, I think having a vision statement, having a value statement of some sort is critical. But, it, but as you say, it cannot just be a document on the wall or a document or a page on the website. It has to be something that is intentionally developed and something that is put into practice. And why is that important? Because your clients care about who they're hiring. If you want to mm-hmm. go from 6 million to 10 million, you need to attract clients and clients are going to be attracted not just by your price there are a thousand lawyers out there who are cheaper than you right but they're coming to you for a particular reason and your values are part of that that value proposition for them so not only is it a client acquisition tool or mechanism but it's also an employee and associate acquisition and retention mechanism because if you are attracting an associate because of the values that you've put up on the website. And now you can't live live up to that. Well, all of a sudden turnover becomes a problem. And turnover is not just who am I going to give this work to? Turnover is a revenue problem, as you know. Right. And every month that seat is empty. You're, you've got hiring costs, onboarding costs, training costs, you've got division of labor costs, and you've got the lack of the billables underneath all that. And so every month you've got an absence is a problem. That's a revenue problem, but that's a revenue problem that can be solved in large part and certainly mitigated by having a culture that is in alignment with the values that you've put some thought into. And that's why it's important to put some thought into it. If you just slap a couple words up on the website and it doesn't resonate with what this firm is built for, what you stand for, then it's going to be impossible to act in alignment with that. That's why it's mm-hmm. really important to dig down and figure out what's important to you as the leader of the firm. Uh, what's What does this organization stand for? How are we going to operate? How do we treat our clients? And once we've got that, now we're attracting the right people both inside the firm and for whom the ser- the firm can provide service. And then every everything gets smoother after that. But let, let me quantify the problem that you just shined some light on. It takes on average six to nine months to attract, hire, and onboard a well-qualified employee. I imagine that most small law firm owners will own that firm for 20, 25 years. Those are big percentages of the time that you operate your business for to be hiring, recruiting, qualified people. It's a very costly problem. Absolutely. And the the 2020 um, Department of Labor Statistics uh, showed that an associate will, will change firms on average every 5.8 years. So over the course of 20, 25 mm, years, your associates are probably going to leave in about five or six years. So either you're doing something that's going to keep them there, right? That I mean, that's that's the ideal. You're doing something that's going to keep them there longer. And so, so you've got the Department of Labor statistics that show the turnover rate. And then there was a, uh, a study a couple of years ago that was published. Uh, I saw it published in Forbes that talked about why people leave a job. And it's, it's relatively kind of common knowledge, but, but there was a study 
that was that got some press a few years ago that talked about 40% of people who leave jobs are leaving because of their manager. So every six years, every five or six years, somebody's leaving. Why are they doing it? They're going to tell you it's for the money. They're going to tell you it's for some family opportunity or, or family concern. But 40% of the people who are leaving are leaving because of you as the manager. And, and if the you change that. What's that? So and the primary reason, and I read studies on that as well, is actually a lack of recognition. Yes. Yes. So if we can, right. So if we can communicate with people with empathy, if we can create an environment of trust, if we can be transparent about both information and who we are as authentic human beings, and if we can demonstrate to them our passion for what we're doing, we're going to have loyal associates and employees. We're going to have happier associates and employees, and we're going to have clients that resonate with what we're doing and stay with us long-term and keep bringing us business. Super valid. And on the other side of this coin, there's also what type of employees are you attracting? Companies, law firms with higher values are probably going to attract better employees in the first place. And by upholding those values throughout the years and recognizing them, Yes. Probably going to keep them for longer. This is something that we practice in. This is by no means a pitch for my business, but this is something that we practice incredibly well in our team. And because of that, for most production positions in our company, we don't recruit. People bring their friends. Yes. We That's have when you know it's working. Right. That's when you know it's working. Yeah. When when you when your employees and your associates are bringing their friends into the firm, that's when you yeah. know it's working. Yeah, our most common production job is an account manager here. And I don't know when was the last year when we had to run an ad for an account manager because they just bring their friends here. And they're good people because good people tend to bring in other good people. That minimizes the cost of training that maximizes client satisfaction because they're working with good people here who are actually nice and responsive and responsible and transparent and accountable. And they stick around because they're happy. And it creates, you know, the same birds of feather flock together. Like they're all very similar people. So they enjoy each other's company. I can't compete with Google's salaries, but they really like being here. So it's like most people will not leave because of a you know five ten thousand dollar difference in pay. They will leave for lack of recognition. So, or because they don't like. There was a study study twenty twenty five years ago that stated something like 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 psychologists thought and people thought commonly the number one reason why people choose a job is the pay, but it was actually like number five. The first reason was like like they looked at the people who were interviewing them and other people who worked there and they were thinking like, do I want to work with these people or not? Absolutely. And that's something that we've seen over the last five or 10 years, and in particular over the last three-ish years of the pandemic, right? Law firms were spending, especially the big firms, were spending boatloads of money on perks, right? We've got the meals, we've got the cars, we've got the, uh, you know, less so than tech uh, in terms of perks, but but all of these extra gym memberships and things like that, none of that is recognition, Right. None mm -hmm. of that is environment. None of that is culture. None of that is connection. And turnover rates continued to go up. And once the pandemic hit, 
they went through the roof because now there was absolutely no reason to stay connected with these firms that didn't see them, that didn't recognize them, that didn't support them, that didn't connect with them. And now as we're coming out of pandemic, more or less, firms are grappling again with how do we recruit and retain these folks who are looking for something more than just a paycheck. And the answer mm -hmm. is we've got to create a bigger cadre of leaders within these firms so that they have someplace and someone to connect with. It gets really hard for most small law firm owners to even think about the cadre of leaders, right? That usually would apply to something that's a larger organization that actually has layers, right? So, so most law firms are 10 attorneys or fewer, and they don't think about cadres. They think about how to increase revenue per attorney if there is solid leadership. And in many, and I'm not knocking on law firm leaders at all. I just think that most people who start law firms have excellent legal acumen and mediocre or below mediocre business acumen because that proverbial, they don't teach you that in law school. No, shit, they don't. That's not what law school is for, right? And you don't go to business school because you're busy doing legal work and then you're really good and you start your own law firm. And then you kind of sort of have to figure out leadership thing. And it's not easy to figure out unless you're naturally built that way, which interestingly enough, most attorneys are not because most attorneys are introverts. They'd rather work in their own space on their own thing rather than manage all the other people that they have to manage if they have the ambition of growing something that's substantial. These are such interesting points that you bring up. I, I always think about it this way. So if you go from the point of values, right? If you start with, with values, let me take it one step back. I think that if you own a law firm, you first have to have a vision for what this thing, this business that you're building looks like in five, 10 years. And for most of us, it's incredibly difficult to imagine it, but you can imagine, by the way, probability that you're going to look exactly like that in five to 10 years is very low, but you have to have a target to aim for. So first you write up that vision. And by the way, that vision can be one page law. It doesn't have to be a lengthy document. Don't waste your time writing a book. Like makes no sense, but there's a vision. And the vision, the second document you create is not a plan. The second document you create, the values that you're going to practice. And then you have to get the right people who are going to help you create the plan because most law firm owners, especially when they're starting out, are not well equipped to put together business plans. But with the right values, they'll be able to attract the right people who are going to help you create those business plans. And with the right people will come more of the right people. And even if you operate a very small law firm, three, four, five attorneys with maybe some support staff, by having the right values, there's a very high probability that your associates are not going to leave you every five years and eight months. That's right. And they're going to treat clients better. So you're going to have, let me be super basic and practical. You're going to have more positive Google reviews. And as you get more positive Google reviews, you're going to get more clients. It's like that simple. Yeah, it, it is that simple. And and it can be that simple to incorporate, to, to inject leadership into the day-to-day -day of building your practice. You know, it, it's easy to to hear a conversation about leadership and think, oh, that, that doesn't, that's not what I need right now, right? Mm -hmm. What I need right now are clients in the door. What I need right now is another associate. What I need right now is more time. 
Well, leadership gets you all those things. And if you think about answering each of those questions from a position of values, you're building that leadership muscle that's going to, again, create more value for you down the road as similar questions come up. Very interesting. I wonder, can I advance? So you're getting people calling on you that they want to develop leadership skills, but I'm sure there are 10, 20, 100 times more law firm leaders, owners, who probably think, that's just not me. Yeah. I, am, I am not well equipped to be a leader. Yeah. So, and yes, you're absolutely right. And I've got, I've got two, two things for that. One is my example. I am also an introvert. You know, I, I'm as introverted as any any tax attorney out there, right? And and I, I like to pick on tax attorneys because I'm by trade, by by practice, my last ten years has been as a legal ethics attorney, and so I'm pretty nerdy when it comes to the law and my practice. But I'm as introverted as, as any legal ethics nerd out there. But leadership is a learned skill, and just like it takes three years and a big test to become a lawyer, you're not going to become a great leader overnight. You can practice leadership skills today that will make a difference. And it can be a deliberate practice to build your leadership skills over time. And over time, you'll become a great leader intuitively. But today, tomorrow, next week, next month, it's a practice that we have to be deliberate about. And and that's the same, that's the same as building a business. It's the same as learning the law. We just have to be deliberate about it. And then so so yeah, those, those two things. My example is number one, I didn't start out this way. I didn't start out as a great leader, but I build teams everywhere I go now. Um, and that comes from practice. And so anybody can do it. I think that there are folks who are not interested in doing it, and I feel bad for them and their and their organizations. But I think that there are a lot of folks out there who do want to do it, who do want to become better, stronger, more efficient leaders, more capable leaders. They don't know where to start, but the the decision, the starting point really is the decision to do something. Excellent point. And let me make it super practical. So whenever I think about the legal profession, I think in terms of income, I think about it as a pyramid. In the bottom layer, this is the biggest layer there is, there are lawyers who practice law. And according to Bureau of Labor Statistics, and I don't remember data for 2022, but somehow I remember 2021 really well. Median income was just a hairline under 128,000. 209 got you in the top 10%. With an approximate glass ceiling of like 400, $450,000 a year, which is nothing to snuff at. It's a great income unless you live in like Manhattan, most other areas in the country, it's great income, right? But most do not make it. I assume it's like 1% of legal professionals who are actually practicing law. Then there is a much thinner layer of income, and those are the rainmakers. They're the people who are extrovert or made themselves extrovert. They go out there, they build relationships, they bring in business, and they barely practice law because why? Rainmaking pays more than actually doing legal work. And then at the top of that pyramid, there are effective CEOs or leaders of well-structured law firms. 
And when they think about it, uh, in many conversations with lawyers, they will say like, yeah, but you have to get like really big to get to that level. I'm like, no, you think about it this way. If you own a $5 million law firm, by, me, by that I mean $5 million in gross revenue, mm-hmm. that is not a huge organization by any stretch of imagination. It's small business. $5 million in gross revenue. If you are the leader of that law firm, here's how the numbers are going to break down. Your cost of services are going to be somewhere at 40 to 60% of that $5 million. Your other operating and marketing and advertising expenses will be another 30, 40%. At the end of the year, you should have approximately 20% net profit margin left in your business. 20% of $5 million is $1 million. And you as a leader can probably pay yourself 30 grand a month. That makes it for an approximately $1,360,000 income on a $5 million law firm. To do that, you have to be a good leader, not a good lawyer, a good leader. And it's very interesting that as a leader of a $5 million law firm, you probably will not be able to afford to practice law. You will not have the time. You will be in charge of hiring best people to manage your silos of different people, of the associates, of your support staff. You will be talking to key vendors, like marketing teams, because they're the ones who help you bring in all that business. Like HR consultants, whoever else is going to help you continually develop that business. You will not be doing very much of doing, you will be doing more of talking thinking, analyzing, and deciding, which is not that hard if you train yourself to become a good leader and a good analyst of your very small business. But you have to start out by, well, you don't have to start out, but you have to develop your leadership skills because if you are, pardon my French, a shitty leader, none of that is going to come together. That's right. People are going to run from you. That's right. And and it really is, and it really does start with that first decision to do something different, to to talk to you, to talk to me, to talk to somebody else, to to get a ment to get a mentor, to find accountability. It's that decision to do something and then acting on it. I I, I worked with somebody once who uh, told a, a story or a joke about uh, five frogs sitting on a log, and he said five frogs sitting on a log, and they they all decided to jump in the water how many frogs were left on the log? And the answer is five. Making a decision is only the first step. You have to take action on that decision. And so it, it you're exactly right. Becoming an effective leader of a firm of any size is doable, but it, it really requires someone to decide that they want to do that and then take the first step to get it done. If a law firm owner, a leader, a leader, uh, an aspiring leader wants to connect with you. What's that first step that they take? Yeah, the the first step with me is to set up a leadership, uh, a legal leadership strategy session, where we'll sit down for about forty five minutes. We'll talk through where they are, how they got there. I'll give them actionable steps that they can take back, depending on what their immediate needs are. I'll give them actionable steps. If it's right to work together, we'll talk about what that looks like. But the first step is really to to give me a call. They can connect with me on LinkedIn or my website. 
What's your website? Uh, website is bkgleadershipcoaching.com. Amazing story. Amazing insights. Amazing offer. I certainly recommend that if you are a law firm leader and aspiring leader anywhere in the on the ladder of climbing up and making more of yourself, reach out to Ben. Last point, helicopter pilot, military attorney, Columbia, so many different things. Anyone, including myself, could probably learn a ton from you and be better off for it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Sasha. This has been a great, great discussion. I, I really appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to the Grow Law Firm podcast. If you liked the ideas shared in this episode, help a fellow lawyer out by sharing a link to the episode. This episode is powered by the team of experts in client attraction, growlawfirm.com. Do you want a complimentary growth plan for your law firm? Request it at growlawfirm.com slash blueprint.